I'm Genesis. I'm Emily. I'm Mira. I'm Christine. And, and, this, and this is, is Comics First. Alright, hello, 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 and welcome to another super awesome, amazing episode of the Comicsverse podcast. I'm Kay, and I'll be hosting the episode covering Margie Liu's new series under Image Comics, Monstrous. The third issue was just released this Wednesday, and it definitely doesn't disappoint. I wasn't disappointed, so that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> uh, Sana Takeda's art makes me want to cry. Very real tears because of how beautiful and mystical it is. I'm sure all of you will agree, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yep. we'll be covering what makes makes this comic so great, what it does well, what it doesn't do well, uh, the politics it addresses, and kind of analyze what Margie Liu and Sana Takeda is trying to achieve with this series and why they chose to do it. But before we jump right in, I have the honor and the burden to tell all of you listeners where you can find more Comicsverse stuff. If you haven't already, go to our website, www.comicsverse.com, your source for in-depth comics analysis. You can find awesome articles, reviews and analyses, video reviews, and other great podcasts episodes if you want to binge listen on Comics First podcasts. We're also on Facebook.com slash Comics First. You can follow us at Twitter and Instagram at Comics First and a Tumblr group under Comics First. Finally, remember to remember all of the Comics First podcasts at Spreaker, SoundCloud, and iTunes. We love when you give us feedback, 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 close to feedback, but not exactly the same. Also feed good. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, okay. Viewers and listeners, give us the feedback and support. You, we clearly need it. And any chance you get, tell us what you think, good or bad, on any of the social platforms I mentioned. Or ones that I haven't mentioned. Maybe you can start a new one. Um, we want to interact with you all so much more, so definitely hit us up. We're not that weird. That's a active lie. Okay, but... um. All right, so we got a, a very new and green cast of people joining me today. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Kay Honda, production coordinator and contributor, the one who goes on tangents and miraculously makes it relevant to the comic in the end. Another blatant lie. <laughs> yeah, but I'm surrounded by fresh new interns and contributors. They all seem lovely. I don't know. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to them yet, but I guess it's going to happen right now and it's being recorded. It's totally fine. Nobody it's fine. How are you guys feeling all tonight, right now? I'm so After good. After all of that? I'm yeah. so good at this. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> Jenna's very go welcomed. First. Oh, good. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Well, for context, she gave me a look, so maybe. Yeah, I mean. Slash, I, slash sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sarcastic, and I'm very, um, yeah, I'm just very sarcastic, so I need a, I don't know how to translate that. You need, like. Just like hashtag sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. Everything yeah, you say. yeah. Literally, that's what I'm going to do. It's yeah. like, in case you can't hear the tone. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, feeling good. Good. Awesome. How about you? Emily is excited. Is this everyone's first podcast? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I feel so responsible. I've had one before. It's like I'm Mother Hen. I'm well that, but it's also kind of like babysitting people when they're first starting to do hallucinogens, and I'm just kind of like, I hope oh everyone has a good trip. <laughs> it's window. not weird. I'm looking after you, kind of. Kind of. That's oh, reassuring. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be so good. So excited. So Emily's really excited. Mira, how are you? I'm doing good. This is my second ever podcast, so that's really exciting. Oh, what was your first? Uh, fun home, just like a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh yeah, cool. that's right. Allison back to good yeah. shit. Okay, cool. So you know you don't have beginner's luck, so you have to try this time. Oh God, I actually have to be good. <laughs> no, <I'm> just, <laughs> just a joke. 
Um, and then Christine, I think you're the last one that's up. What's up? And how do you feel about being on a podcast today? Hey, I'm doing well. This is my first podcast. So if I'm terrible, it's all right. We'll just it's, I'm talk sure to beginners. No, girl, I don't even have that excuse. <laughs> so it's you can't be worse than what I've already done just now. So it's okay. I will be. <laughs> I will protect you great. from the You're shame. You're doing great, Kay. Thank you. <laughs> Tears. Okay. Yeah. So I guess now that we got all of our names out there, why don't we each of us just talk about what brought us to Comics First in the first place, and maybe just a sentence long opinion or review of what you think of Monsters so far. So for me, I've. I started in July and I started off as an intern and now I contribute and boss people around apparently. Apparently that's a thing I do. And I'm hosting this, which is crazy. Yay. I feel like I was just thrown into one of these. But um, yeah, starting with you, Genesis. So I started like a few weeks ago. So rather new. I think I've been always wanting to get into like, comics and graphic novels, although I do read a couple of graphic novels like in the past, but like I don't have any like sort of background with comics and mm -hmm. all that in the whole world. So definitely like wanted to explore that medium and that type of art just because mm. like I wasn't exposed to it when I was a, a kid besides like, you know, the TV shows. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. So yeah. I kind of feel that way too. I feel like I was introduced to comics or felt a kinship with comics very late in the game as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I'm, it's like so prevalent now too. It really is. So yeah, so that's why I'm here. All right, um, cool. Is that all? Yeah. Well, are you going to be writing, editing? Oh, I'm going to be writing and doing video production. Awesome. Mm -hmm. We definitely need those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that we need. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what did you think of Monstrous? I loved it. I love the art. Mm. I think everyone's on the same page about that. But like the art is amazing. Yes. And I'm sure we can talk about that more yeah, later. You definitely will because uh, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. And also just like all of it is so like, like for lack of a better word it's just so tight like yeah. all the details mm -hmm. are in there mm -hmm. like also in visual art but also just in story it's really right. interesting but mm -hmm. we'll talk about that later <laughs> <laughs> all right emily what brought you here to comics first and what did you think of monstrous i have a very similar story to genesis i only recently got into comics mm -hmm. my fiance grew up with comics mm. and pushed me for a very long time to read them mm. <laughs> And I only recently started to probably a couple of years ago. Really? That's about it. So he was very excited when I found this internship with Comics yeah. First because he's like, now we can talk about this stuff. Oh, and so you sweet. actually know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And I'm not just like talking at you. I mean, as, uh, like you found a sincere interest in it, though. It's not just that. I mean, I've, of course, part of the influence of you, you know, kind of pursuing an internship like this or getting into graphic novels or comics was probably because you wanted to connect with your fiance more. <laughs> but it's but it's also like you feel your own sincere kinship with it now. Oh, yeah. I've been an avid reader for years, mm -hmm. years and years and years. Mm. And so once I did finally delve into the comics world and graphic novels, mm -hmm. it just it opened a whole other side that I've never seen before. Mm. And so then the fact of surrounding myself with people who are doing this almost, you know, on a professional level mm. was just, I can do that. Like it's, oh yeah, that's totally never can. something that you ever think of doing as a career. Yeah. But because we're all poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But we love it. Well, through the tears, we love it. <laughs> all right. That's awesome. And then what did you think of Monsters? I'm very intrigued by it. Intrigued. 
very intrigued. But you don't love it. No, I do love it. But you don't have only- to love it. I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> poke mm-hmm. a unpopular opinion out of you. It's probably going to be me. It's okay. No, um, <laughs> I really love fantasy. And I love mm. th- that comics are doing fantasy. Mm. Because when you read it in prose, it gets very difficult to picture what they are talking about. Mm. And so the fact that there's artwork mm-hmm. to accompany it, mm-hmm. it's amazing. That's, that's great. It's a perfect marriage. Yeah. But there's only three issues out yet. Mm. So, so there's still a lot of build up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely been building. I mean, I like it just because that's actually a really good point with fantasy. You know, despite how advanced we've gotten with special effects and everything, there's only so much we can really do. But if it's just, you know, if it's comics, you can do anything as long as you're able to draw it. And that's so cool. And that's kind of why I think it's survived for so long. The the media especially, and becoming more popular. Too. Yeah. With like and I mean, they've whatever they can adapt to TV or movies they have. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Right. So, yeah. Cool. We'll talk about that, too. <laughs> Getting frisky in here. <laughs> no, we're not. It's just, it's <laughs> yeah, a lie. Not. It's a lie. We're just sitting on this couch quietly with our hands to ourselves. <laughs> Mita, so what brought you to Comics Verse and what did you think of uh, Monstrous? Yeah, so it seems like we're all kind of, so far been people who haven't really been like introduced to comics at an early age because me too I started Mm. like got introduced to this world actually through graphic novels Mm. and that started happening maybe like three years ago or so um just with like casual reading kind of things things that my roommate my freshman roommate was really into comics and graphic novels particularly Mm -hmm. and she like kind of got me into it but it wasn't really until I took a class actually um in college called narrative and narrative theory Mm. where one of the last books that we read for this class was actually Fun Home. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So my professor had us read a section of Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, too. Yes. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And it like, (laughs) you, you haven't read it yet? No, we have. I have. We had to read that, I said. I was like, we collectively? No, no, the no, collective no, no. We. I have. I have read. <laughs> no, I have read it too. Okay, yeah. so we have. Yes. I actually read, read it. I think that was okay. like a requirement in the intern application. They actually did the required yeah. reading, Justin. No, no, not Monstrous. Scott McCloud. <laughs> yes. Yes, they actually did it. Yeah, we did. Unlike I actually, some people. I bought it immediately after I applied. Not knowing it was I would get so it or good. I would have any idea really that I would get it. I bought both of them. <laughs> I love making this. comics and understanding comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, and this I, is so beautiful. <laughs> this is warming my heart. Word. <laughs> and oh Scott McCloud God. kept talking about Will Eisner. Yes, Will Eisner. So then mm-hmm. I bought one of his too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. I have all three volumes uh, of Will Eisner stuff. Storytelling? Narrative storytelling, something like that. Yep. You guys are delving right into the world of comics. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <At> first. <laughs> yes. All right. So then, you know, like, how do you feel about Monstrous as a series? Especially since like from uh, since we all have come from like a similar background of getting into it through graphic novels or like usually autobiographical graphic novels and then looking into (laughs) kind of the big two and then also image and Dark Horse and everything else Um, from Mm -hmm. that kind of newness. How do you feel about Monstrous as a series? Right. So like this is one of my first like comic book series to ever like really get into before mm. this I'd like read I've been reading Miss Marvel mm. and like Great. I-, I guess I'm kind of following a trend here of reading feminist yeah. makes me really happy and I'm excited. Mm. I'm particularly excited that this is a comic book series by a team of Asian artists. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Which Asian I think is so women. cool because you like Amen. hear a bunch about like Asian artists doing, you know, backup work or mm-hmm. like, you know, or like very like covers. And, yeah, like yeah. in the team, but not really the leaders of the team. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is really cool that it's a project being headed by two really talented Asian American artists. Yes, I so agree with that. We're going to talk about kind of the racial and gender aspects of the story within the context of the story and also just outside of the world and within our world. So that's awesome. Uh, Okay, so Christine, you're the last one up. Tell us how you came about, came about, yeah, came about comics. Was that words? Yeah, Yeah, it just grammatically works, (laughs) even though it sounds weird. Yeah, how you've come to us at Comics First (laughs) and also how you feel about Monstrous, if I can learn to speak Uh, ever. Yeah, I actually have been reading comics and graphic novels um, for actually about a decade now. So I'm actually, kind of, wow. I guess, the outlier in this group. Um, yeah, so I started when I was really young reading, you know, the big the big four, Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse. And I also read a lot of manga and manhwa, which is like Japanese comics and yep. Korean comics. Yep. Um, so I've actually been in the comic world for quite a while. And I came to Comicsverse with the intention to sort of find my people and find like a very sanctioned space where we can talk about comics in a more like critical manner that mm. I would, that's something I was looking for. And I, you know, I'm happy that I'm here. And in terms of cry. monstrous... Sorry, please continue. Why are you laughing at me? No, I'm not laughing. I'm crying. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so okay, beautiful. Uh, okay, no, continue. <laughs> so, uh, I think Monstrous is doing a really good job in terms of building a, a world mm-hmm. that sort of encaptures sort of the spirit of the storyline um so i'm really i'm like obviously in love with the artwork it's so like rich and organic and like the use of textures and patterns is just blowing me away i know Um, in terms of plot i think they're doing a really good job in setting up a plot where the plot actually goes and if the characterization is any good has yet to be seen um just because it's only three issues in so there's a lot of room for it to grow or for it to fail wow that was very concise concise. yeah that got serious (laughs) We're going to argue up a storm up in here right now. I'm about to be the devil's advocate right now. But before we do that, we are going to stop the introduction and then go into segment one. And we're so starting. Am I talking? If you want, I'm just going to say, okay, segment one is just to cover Monstrous's story and main themes. And we're actually getting a quick summary from Christine and or Mide, if they would like to team up together or just say it one by one. Who cares? We'll just, yeah, we'll figure it out. So come. What is Monstrous about? Go. Uh, Monstrous is about a a young girl who's trying to find her identity and in the process gets caught in a war between the witch nuns of the human realm or the motherland Mm -hmm. and the arcanic hybrids of old. I like it. That's pretty, pretty thorough. Do you have anything to add, Mita? I think one of the most important parts of this is the setting of the comic book. It's set in this really fascinating, uh, fantastic alternate 1900s Asia. Yeah, um, it's so cool. Yes. And there are a lot of politics going on right now. And mm-hmm. it, it's just like this main character just caught in the winds of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and is trying to both like avenge herself or avenge the the deaths of those she loves. Um, mm-hmm. That's her main goal in the story, whether or not like we know how this occurred. We have this really mysterious backstory mm-hmm. regarding her. And yeah, and we're just following her story and following her as she realizes that there's a lot more going on 
in the story than she, even she realizes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on with her that we're not even entirely sure about either. And uh, which is interesting because we are following her in her story, but we don't even know all of the details about her and her past either. And yeah, so what do you guys think, Genesis and Emily? Do you think? <laughs> Sorry, I made myself laugh. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Genesis and Emily sounded funny to me together, but it's really not. Anyway, yeah. How would you guys describe it if... I have a feeling that it's turning into an epic journey of a mm. coming of age story. Hmm. That's so Something's funny. happening to her. She's not really sure. Mm. The reader's not totally sure Mm. i would never have thought of it as a coming of age story but that's so accurate right it's weird because how old is she she's a teenager apparently a very Mm -hmm. vague teenager i can't (laughs) even hardly decipher because she looks she could be like 19 yeah she looks like she could be older like a young woman yeah she is a yeah definitely young woman she could also be 15 16 yeah so, yeah, coming of age might not be the appropriate word for it, but I th- I mean, she has to be learning some about herself. No, but that's what's so interesting, because I think that I wouldn't have thought of it as a coming of age story. But in terms of just like the changes she is experiencing, I could see that. Yeah, Christine? Yeah, I'm actually not even sure if like normal human ages apply in this world because I know a lot of people talk about how they were around for the Battle of Constantine and according to the little history that the elder cat gives at the end, the Constantine Mm. battle happened some, you know, 200, 300, maybe even 500 years ago. So I'm not even sure if like normal human ages apply. No, I definitely don't think they do. Yeah, so I think it's like a Bildungsroman and the fact that it's a coming of age story regardless of her actual like physical age is sort of a coming of age in discovering her identity Mm -hmm. and who she is and like her history because she says very explicitly that she doesn't even know who she is or what her name really is she Mm -hmm. has an idea based on what other people have told her but she doesn't know her own personal history so i think a lot Mm -hmm. of the series is a journey of her trying to like reclaim her history i like that i I like Mm -hmm. that too Mm -hmm. i didn't think about it in depth like that that's really interesting janice yeah yeah i definitely agree with that just because if you think about it she has she has been a slave so it's Mm kind of a really traumatic experience for her even for anyone at any age so it's kind of like she's already gone through a lot Mm. So she has to be at a mature age to deal with all those things. And so I definitely agree with the fact that like she needs to like reclaim her history and her identity and basically reclaim the experiences that she's gone through and like kind of like break them down and kind of mm. dis- disassemble them and try to understand what that leads to because she doesn't know and we don't know either. And mm. I think that's kind of like what the story is also like um, heading towards. Yes. Emily. That is also that the fact that she was a slave and that she has been a slave, she's breaking out of that slavery. Mm-hmm. That's a very classic story that slaves don't have a history. They don't mm. have a past. They yeah. don't know their lineage, right. where they came from. Mm-hmm. Because their sole purpose. Yeah. so many times. Mm-hmm. You don't even know who your parents are, what your name really was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely she has to learn her history. I think that's really interesting because I never thought of it to that point, but that definitely makes sense. I think that's why a lot of the kind of very realistic elements of the story have to do with the politics and everything. And I think that 
it's interesting because I think I just got caught up in the politics of it all too because it's just too real and that kind of leads to the next question about just the story and the main themes um, some major themes that I noticed were kind of oppression subjugation otherness and I wanted to ask everyone as a group kind of what do you think that they're achieving by using fantasy as a means to kind of reflect something very realistic or very visceral and kind of the significance of it being a matriarch and involving a lot of magic and I just wanted to know if anyone saw any connections between the two of just like or what they're using magic for so i i think that the, the function of magic in the in, as along along with like in several other books that feature matriarchies put in the place of power a lot of those books utilize magic in order to e- even the power playing field mm. i think because one of the mo- but um often used arguments towards a patriarchy is that it back in the day when force was more important and violence is more important it takes like physical prowess to to hmm. designate your power and in, in, in your place in the social structure and like to instead use magic as like the the center of power Oh, um, so it kind of it doesn't depend on your mm-hmm, on like a physical powers thing. It's like right. it's a spiritual connection kind of thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So and think- and they're like using like having women as a woman as the as the spiritual center has been like just in many different countries' history mm-hmm. a, a very common theme. Right. So yeah, it, it it makes sense that they're using this as as a kind of basis for the political society here. I don't really recall seeing a lot of men at all in the book. Other I mean, than, there like, are men, but that's such. But that's kind of what's so, so interesting because, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's making the quote unquote, the strange or the other, the, the normal. Norm. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's a purely matriarchal society and men aren't even that subjugated. I don't think they're just lit- less. Yeah, they, they have less power in terms of just political power. And it's really interesting because like Marjorie Lou could have written this in a way that was it was just women if mm-hmm, she wanted mm-hmm. to right and she made the decision not to do that so mm-hmm. what do you guys think about that just like going along with the that men aren't in necessarily the political power mm-hmm. the men that I were no I was noticing they were soldiers mm-hmm. and then the two men that they come across yeah down on the road right. they were physical workers mm-hmm. so it's almost like the men still had very manly jobs when you think of soldiers, mm-hmm. you think of men. When you think of manual labor, you think of men. Mm. And yet, I don't know. Yeah, right? I yeah. Know. I think the, f- I- the first scene also is of two, of when Micah was about to be sold. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of men in the room trying to like bid. Oh, and, yeah. Like, that, yeah exactly. Know, that's yep. like, and, yeah. And forgot her name. I think it was... Oh my god, I don't I don't remember one of the nun's names. But the nun came in and they were like, no, this is over. Like, we're going to take all of the oh yeah Sophia? It was, yeah Sophia, Sophia I think yes, so yeah yes yes so that just in that in the beginning of the the series it's like okay they actually have power besides magical power but they have like political power in the sense that they can come into a room and come into a room and you know um take what they want and unfortunately in this series it's actual people or arcanics i mean but that's what's so interesting because then why even bother having that kind of moment in the very beginning of the series of just seeing like this kind of almost stereotypical image of just older men like bidding on slave girls basically it set the stage Mm -hmm. i guess so so it might be like the setting of the stage before marjorie lou kind of you know turns it upside down right right because obviously these men are financially stable right this is they have a financial power yeah Interesting. Christine, yes. Uh, Yeah, I also think it's really interesting that, well, actually, 
all the women, I think, or all the soldiers in the so far that have been shown have actually all been women, I think, actually, which I think is a really interesting like subversion of gender roles because, Mm -hmm. you know, all the women in the series are women of power. They mm-hmm. hold like really important places in society. Not only like Amelia being a mother and like also a, a traitor, but you know the high god, the high goddess, or what's her name, the high mothers. Yeah, sorry. or she like this obviously mother superior, is like somebody basically. of real importance in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what? I think uh, one of yeah. Her so like the high mother, mother by superior. yeah. Oh, I think there's a yeah, I think what's important to remember, though, is that there's a whole side of the society that we haven't seen yet. The whole motherland or the federation of humans, or I think is what they're called. And there's that whole other part of society that we haven't seen yet. So it'll be interesting to see how Marjorie Liu incorporates men into that kind of world. Are they holding positions of political power or is that all filled by women? So is it really a matriarchy or is it just a matriarchy that we've seen so far? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Hmm, that is something to think about. Mm. Huh. But I like that. Yeah, because there's apparently a, like a counselor who in the Federation like also works with the High Mother. But we don't know if that counselor or prime minister or whatever they're referred to in the Federation is a man or, or a woman. We're not actually sure, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we're sure. And I think that on top of that, I, I really appreciate but also just like in the story how the main themes do you know obviously ideas of just civil rights or just feminism is very much present but it doesn't stop there it's very much just kind of calling to light a lot of issues that we're dealing with and you know x-men has dealt with which is kind of ideas about race or otherness and just generally feeling kind of exotified or cast out by the majority and that's a very real theme throughout the whole thing which i think makes it despite how fantastical it is makes it so kind of kinetic yeah tangible exactly Mm -hmm. that's a great word uh christine yeah i think another point to sort of bring up for discussion is the fact that it's, isn't it funny that when we read a story where women play like central roles to the plot and, you know, the main protagonist is a woman that we think it's so interesting or so, you know, so new. But I mean, really, it's just an inversion of what we typically see in television and right. movies and graphic novels and books. Any form of media really is that men are playing the central role while women are sort of these on the fringes of society. They're not but otherwise sort of unimportant to the whole story. So I think Marjorie has just sort of inverted that where men are there, but they're not subjugated, but they're just sort of on the fringes. And the the, the plot of the story is driven by women, which is something we normally see anyways, but with men. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like even if it's a female protagonist, it's like Black Widow and she's with like a team of men. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> but in this case, yeah, her story is driven by yeah. other men. Right. Yeah, just adding on to that, I really appreciate the fact that the that Marjorie has not yet, at least in the um, development of the story, given the main character a love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, her, I appreciate her, that too. Yeah, yeah, like her deepest con- like connection is is that that child 
little snippets of um, Mm -hmm. also a female and like the fact that her character isn't driven by or like usually when you see female protagonists it's some love story you have like Jane Austen you know writing about you know women who's the drive in the story is to get their man and I'm like this is not what the story is about there Mm -hmm. aren't a whole lot of romantic situations at all for any of the other characters either no it's it's like that's what kind of makes it not campy because I think with the art because of its I don't want to mess up her name but her art is so beautifully done and really reminds me of like old school Sailor Moon covers Um. and it's very like sparkly and pretty but it's also like very dark and Mm -hmm. then because the content is dark it's actually kind of nice because it polarizes the darkness with this beautiful imagery but then you know there is no hearts and rainbows and unicorns and <laughs> in love interest there's none of that there's no time for that there's just no, too there's much no there's the too one much unicorn that's it. there has its horn ripped off yeah it's yeah. like it's a very <laughs> gruesome story but i think yeah so we're gonna wrap up the first segment all right so this is segment two and we're going to focus on micah as a protagonist and her relationships with the other characters in the story so you know just let's talk about just what we generally think about her so her full name is micah half wolf we know she's a teenager she's the main character it begins with her it follows her And, you know, the comic is very cinematic in the sense that it shows what other characters are doing outside of her as well. But uh, yeah, so like what are some standard basic feelings we feel about Micah as a character? Do we like her? Is she likable? Do we relate to her at all? I mean, I like her just because like she's pretty badass in the sense that she can pretty much defend herself. Yeah, but I don't. That's what's so interesting because I like her, but I don't don't think she's a likable person like or a likable hero to follow. No, not at all. I don't think so either. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely I think that's why I like her just because like if she was likable, then it it would feel strange concerning like dealing with the circumstances that she's in. Mm. Like, I don't think it would make sense for her to be that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah and the fact that when she is riding with kippa Mm -hmm. and kippa is petrified of her at this point with everything that's happened up till then yeah and she says are you afraid of me and kippa says yes she says you should be i'm afraid of me too yeah i think she is she's deathly afraid of herself because she has no idea what's going on yeah so i don't think she would like herself as a person either right i don't think she Mm. likes the point where she's at right now because she doesn't know how she came to be she doesn't know anything and so she's kind of more so confused and trying to figure out how to put herself together and try to see who she is for real something's inside of her that she can't control that got loose in the woods yeah did a little damage a lot a yeah, lot, a lot of, of damage, damage. <laughs> she's also but like she's also in so much denial is something that i really noticed but um mira do you have something to add yeah i think that right now where the story is in its third issue i don't know if it's just like not given to um really have her become vulnerable to the audience yet or to the reader yet it seems to be that she is afraid of herself and so she is trying to protect herself by not revealing anything really about like how she's feeling or her emotions making her like a very kind of cold character she's very which I, right very yeah which very i think is like really too. interesting as a female stoic. protagonist that you don't see a lot of care like most of the time the protagonist is either like really likable or like really warm so to see this like boldly cold and strong character is really interesting and i'm excited to see like as the as the um series progresses yeah i mean it's like her softer and like more 
emotional side. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent to, you know, Miyazaki heroes. Like he loves mm-hmm. having female protagonists. And, you know, he even admits that they go through a point where they have to go through, you know, a maturity and um, they have to change in some way, even if they do start off as strong female characters, like they have to reach this. Yeah. Part of themselves. Yes. <laughs> Mira. Oh, my God. She's just like San from yes, um, she is. Princess Mononoke. I was going to say she was like Naushka in the, the Valley oh, yes. of the Winds one. But I mean, yeah, she's but she's but the thing is, I would find those characters, the Miyazaki characters, much more likable than I find Micah. Like with Micah. I think his characters are innocent. Yeah, Micah is not. No, like, there's not there's a lot of shit in there. There's demons. Yeah. Ba- very very literal. Demons. Very yep. literal <laughs> vagina eye. Yeah. Hairy uh, <laughs> demons. So hairy. Monsters. So hairy. It's like Cousin It, but like, not. You do not, you do not want that in your. Um, no, ooh. Not, not there either. But uh, we do not want to invite that Cousin It to the family reunion. No, no. Yes, Mina. <laughs> I think that it's a very like age old cliche, but I think that we're not supposed to find um, Micah likable because she doesn't like herself. And if you don't like yourself, how could other people like you? Mm. And I think that one of the I think she purposefully makes herself unlikable because she is doing that very, you know, tragic hero routine where Mm -hmm. she doesn't want other people around her to get hurt and Mm -hmm. so she pushes everybody away like her friend Tuya she purposefully ignores her and her advice and how she feels about the situation because she doesn't want Tuya to get hurt and then when Tuya doesn't meet her after she escapes from the Kamiya she's like she says that she is happy that Tuya didn't beat her because it's probably better for her and I think that she was pulling a lot of man yeah and yeah, I think in a lot of ways she's trying she ha- she like kind of is this embodiment of like the feral child where mm, because she yeah. was a slave for so many years, she doesn't really even know how to relate to other beings because she's not in touch with that sort of human side of her. Even though she's not human, you know, I think humanity is not limited to humans in Wait, this world. But are you saying that oh, I can't I guess I can see that. Do you think that, you know, since the other side is the other part of her is like very arcane or like do you think that it's like that's a very literal she's more animalistic than or like does that would that prove the point that the arcane are you know quote-unquote beasts as like the kumea or the humans would call them or is it just like a or is it just that yeah right because like because you uh, for me i often forget that she's that like aside from like this weird demon thing that's in mm-hmm. her that she's half arcane. Oh yeah, yeah. Not even. Don't I don't think, think arcane in this world. The arcanic are like beasts. You know what I'm saying? Like I think mm-hmm. that that's how humans view them. But I don't think it's supposed to be like they are actually like they're not. They're, they don't have human emotions. They're sort of these monsters. I actually think that some of the most sympathetic and humane mm-hmm. characters in the series are actually the arcane. Are the arcanic people. Yeah, like Like Kippa is just so Mm -hmm. damn adorable um, and vulnerable. And that's something that's very realistic. And, you know, I think, like, what's his name? Mr. Ren. The cat, yeah, the Master Ren, yeah, Commander. yeah, Master Ren. He's like he's like one of the more relatable characters in the series. He's like really funny. Um, so I think the arcane and like the other in the series are not supposed to be like beasts, but rather they're just other. Mm-hmm. And so I think like that not, I think that yeah. Micah. Yes, I think that Micah being, you know, either half or full. Actually, I think every all the arcane people in the series are hybrids. So I think they have human in them. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, 
that's something that she's struggling with is that she's like not connected with her humanity with the things that make her like a person versus just a beast. Right. Well, that's where that's why with her, she's such a polarized character because it's not just, oh, am I human or am I more arcane? It's kind of your she has bits of arcanic blood in her she has some human blood in her and then on top of all that she has like this weird hair demon thing that's <laughs> gorgeous and terrifying at the same time it's, so gorgeous. it's yeah it's amazing and we'll talk about that later because we'll go into the art but she has all these things that kind of isolate her even from the isolated and mm-hmm. that's what's really crazy about her and like if you really think about it she's i'm thinking 16 or 17 so she's putting up lots of fronts and that's why she's very cold and nasty and is like why do I care about those people right. but you know she cares yeah of even, course she does yeah even master ren says in one of the scenes that like when she grabs the mask mm-hmm. and she, he's like you know basically saying asking her if that was worth it like mm. he was explaining how the mask has such a power that no the, the worst corrupt like the the most corrupt like demon mm-hmm. wouldn't dare to go near that mask and she has so you know so like it's kind of like I don't know. She just has a lot to deal with, especially with this mystery mask that we don't know anything about. Yeah. But yeah, I think we'll talk about that later, too. Yes. And I guess before we go into her relationships with other characters, I guess I think it should be addressed just because it's part of her characterization. What do people think about her physical handicap? Because I thought I saw a lot of parallels. Like, maybe it's just I was projecting, but... I saw a lot of parallels with kind of like the new Mad Max movie with Charlize Theron's character, where it's kind of just like this casual loss of limb that's mm-hmm. never, you know, like dramatized or anything. Oh, it's very casual. Yeah. It's just commented in the very beginning when she's going to be sold because that's... It's a defect. That's quote a unquote. defect. Yeah, yeah, Right. Yeah. But she never comments on it. Nope. It's never brought up. She's it's never, never self-conscious nope. about it. Nope. It's never been an issue for her. mm and it, so I'm wonder. I kind of wonder how long ago it happened. Well, that's the thing. I feel like I think that it's suggested that Young. she that. Well, I thought it was more that she might have lost it at Constantine or like the Battle of Constantine, which was right. during the Holy War that they keep mentioning. Oh. And I was thinking maybe she lost it then because they keep going back to that. Event. I was thinking when they were selling her, whoever it was that was selling the the woman that was there, the saleswoman, the saleswoman. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> The she mentioned <laughs> it was a, a ritualistic, like tribal thing, mm. is what she had said. Oh, so that's why I got the like impression sacrificial. that it was very young. Oh, okay. Christine, what do you think? Uh, I actually think that when they were referring to the ritualistic, like barbaric, like rite of passage, it was actually the mark on her chest, the eye, mm. not the arm. I think the arm she actually lost in the Battle of Constantine. And I think it actually does have a pretty big impact on her because there's that one scene where she's sitting with Tuya and they're staring out at that. I don't even know what dead God image. And Mm. she sort of like looks at her missing arm and you see in one panel it's there and the next that it fades away. Mm, So I think it's it's there. And yeah, like she, it's something, it's definitely a handicap that she feels and she's reminded of it, but she doesn't let it define her. And I think that's really the strength in her portrayal of that handicap is that she has this handicap, but it no way limits her at all. Yeah. And she doesn't whine about it like a lot of other male protagonists and other stories (laughs) do. I know, oh, yes. Boohoo, my They're parents like, are dead. It's like... <laughs> like, boohoo, I lost an eye. It's okay, like, that was like 20 years ago. One. Grow up, okay? We all lose our parents. <laughs> or it's like this one... I, I remember it. reading this one manga where the guy lost his eye and he 
was crying about it for like the entire series and i was like oh you have God. another one it's fine <laughs> it's like you're good you'll figure it out it's japan they'll figure out to, how to give you another eye something. yeah they're they got their shit together over there <laughs> they do actually. yeah all right so then i guess just to wrap up the segment too just on her character and her relationships what do we think about her new gang of friends kind of or not even all new tuya wasn't new and hopefully she'll come back into the picture i hope she becomes a bigger part of the story oh i i can't see her not you know tuya is like the oldest friend i think for micah and is i think younger she looks significantly younger but we're not sure about age yeah exactly Yeah. yeah But she she was like the voice of reason. Oh, yeah. And now she's, you know, taking a hiatus, I think, for obvious reasons. But also, like, what do we think about Ren the Cat and Kippa and how they're kind of in the story now? You know, they they weren't just a passing thing. Right. I think they're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. I hope they stick around. I think they're also going to be foils for Micah. Mm. You have Kippa, who is innocent and right. childlike. So mm-hmm. she's going to bring in just children always see things differently mm. and kind of simplistic. Mm. And when they say it, it's just like, why didn't I think of that? Like pure. Pure. Just, right. Yeah. And then you've got Ren the cat, who is very knowledgeable. Mm. He's yeah, very intelligent. Right. right, right. He's a commander. He's an apprentice. Ro- Necromancer, whatever that means. Zoran of the White Claw. House. Yeah, like there's so much. <laughs> yes, he has this huge title. So he's obviously, I, he he's got some ins with houses, with I don't know the political side of it. Yeah, like least. he's very involved. And he's he, very and involved. he knows what the hunger is, right? So he, he told ha- her he yeah. understands Say. that aspect of her, and so he has to be a, a big part of her story, like. He's going to guide her. He's going to be the guy. So he's like the mentor figure while Kippa is kind of, you know, just the fresh set of eyes, I guess. Or like the innocent part, the the one that you want to protect. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, What do you think, Mita? I think that's really important, too, especially because Micah herself doesn't have a history and is figuring all that out. So having a her see and a character to help her learn mm-hmm. are just two integral puzzle pieces to herself like remembering who she is as well as becoming a new person that's really interesting you just blew my mind <laughs> oh wow oh i mean okay so to add on to that because you know because micah is a very compromised character does anyone know who the like who the villain is definitely because i'm still kind of not sure Mm. it's like is it the federation or is it the, in- the inquis or inquisitrix in- oh yeah inquisitrix yes i love them by the way yeah they're great they're so gorgeous they're, they're, they're like they're, i know <laughs> their haircuts everything oh they're so good <laughs> i was gonna say about sort of the other cast of characters surrounding micah mm-hmm. i think it's really interesting how effortly diverse the series is because mm. there's so much focus on otherness and how Micah is this other mm-hmm. and this world of the arch- arcanic versus the humans and the witches. That is sort of the the setup for other that we're presented with that like things like race and species like don't even really play a role. Like mm. the fact that even within like sort of the Kumia and then within the Federation, I'm assuming there's just this like really awesome mix of ethnically ambiguous women and it's like not even it's not even a focal point of really this the the, the story like it just is is. um it just is diverse because that's a reflection of our actual world 
I think is really interesting because then it, it allows the viewer to get caught up in this in the true, you know, plot of the story, which is the arcanic versus human. And that's the otherness, the other like premise that we are set up with. Yes, I like that. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I ship it. <laughs> <laughs> all right i ship racial diversity yeah i i ship racial diversity indeed i am all about that i will marry it i will put a ring on it all right so i think that wraps up segment two and now segment three is going to be about world building segment three is about just world building in monstrous for me personally i thought about a lot of different fandoms when i was reading this lord of the rings included Oh my god, I can't believe I'm like having a brain fart right now about it. But it's very Lord of the Rings like because the mask has become this kind of weird totem. But instead of trying to destroy it, she's still the main focus is on kind of understanding herself or what's happening to her. So does it remind you guys of any specific fandoms or any other storyline? Or even in terms of just like the thoroughness of kind of the world building? Oh, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, Narnia. I thought of Narnia. Well, I think in the last section about how the otherness is tied to the division between arcanic and human Mm -hmm. and not on the people and their like racial or um, just other physical attributes me a lot about just how x-men does it yeah like how the otherness divide then and and it's even more prominent in x-men because it's set in like the present day right right so it's like it's the divide between the mutants and the humans rather than like what their particular racial background is and i thought that like that's just something that is very easy to do in in most fantasy genres Mm. um and fandoms fantasy provides a great platform with which just create a whole new set of like social norms that this does really well too you kind of start over yeah exactly I was going to say, I'm actually like, a, like, I think that the world that they've set up is very beautiful, but it's also mm. a little bit confusing to me as a reader because True, I read yeah. that it was set in 1900s, like alternate universe Asia, but like, I didn't mm. really see how. I don't know if they're referencing Constantine as like the, like what, what happened in the Ottoman Empire. Like I was very confused about where and when this was taking place because when I went into the story, I sort of read it as a completely different world yeah. with right. just sort of mm-hmm. overtones of war and violence and very like realistic, relevant issues in our time, but like set in a completely different world. And to read that it was somehow in 1900s alternate Asia. Like feudal just Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like feudal Asia just really didn't seem to like ring a bell to me. And I was wondering like what everybody else thought about that well for me i think that i thought of it more as maybe i thought of it too generally but i thought that it was appropriate for it to be set in not only in an alternate universe from ours but also in the past because to me that suggests something very real about kind of the social systems that we're seeing and the politics that we're seeing in the story and the themes because they are very human very relevant subjects of conversation and it is cyclical like that kind of experience of war and going over war over difference and over kind of racial or sexual or anything any kind of difference and having wars over it is like a very historically cyclical thing so I think just on a in a vague way I don't know about specifically making it 1900s but the fact that it was in the past I got like I was behind that but in terms of whether it was specific I don't know what do you think Emily I was kind of bothered that they put a time period to it Mm. 1900s you almost wanted it to be more nothing open yeah Mm. yeah Yeah, just because you attribute a lot of things to the 1900s you know there's a lot of like Mm. just 
images and ideas that pop up and it's like you don't that's not necessary for the story itself no, unless unless mm-hmm. it, it comes up in the future but i doubt it mm-hmm. you know in the in the in the upcoming series but um, do you think that it might just be more inspiration than actually so. set yeah I because think yeah, i think yeah because the you know the wardrobe or the setting or kind of the buildings i can see them having inspirations of all different kinds of asian cultures mm-hmm. so that i get but because they placed it and timed it it well, when, when, it, when we say it, we mean a description on of Monstrous on image.com. It's really, that's so interesting that we that we all feel that it almost was better when it was kind of like this vague fantasy yes. realm. I think fantasy does better when it's a little more vague. Right. Christine, what do you think? Yeah, I don't really see anything particularly 1900s about it. So putting a time place or time stamp on this world just doesn't really feel appropriate. There's nothing like 1900s about it, really. And I think that, but I do think the setting it in alternate Asia was very interesting, considering Mm -hmm. a lot of the culture that they've sort of like formed in this world. I like noticed when Micah was with Tuya, like it was very Mongolian, the landscape, Mm -hmm. especially with the tents and even the costuming, like the clothes that they were wearing was like very much inspired, I feel, by like Mongolia. So there was like a weird amount of, and I wouldn't say weird in a bad way, but just interesting amount of references and inspiration from Mm -hmm. like real Asian cultures, um, but set in this entirely different world that doesn't really bear besides that like very much reference to ours right so it's not it's like non-committal and it's inspired by many different cultures yeah i see that yeah i think that when people choose to make designs inspired by cultures that are not eurocentric they feel the pressure to claim that whatever that world is is an alternate version of the culture that it came from Mm -hmm. and i just like So I wonder if that was the reasoning behind claiming it as alternate Asia. Um, Personally, I work on a lot of shows theater wise that are like we take regular quote unquote regular. Right. Um, (laughs) My my uh, what is it? My troupe is called the Asian American Theater Project. And we take Mm -hmm. those shows and then we like put a a spin on it to tell an Asian story through the lens of that show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like often our designs are like Asian inspired and such. But we make sure to like inspired rather than forcing that world into Asia just to tell like the Asian story because we think that like the Asian story can still be told without needing to make those like fundamental changes Mm -hmm. and like I just want to like push back on that assumption that we like have to claim that in order to make a distinction between the Asian design and the default that is the Eurocentric design Mm -hmm. and like yeah so I, I am really happy that they they chose to they put in these these Asian inspired design elements into well because it's different the comics and it's it's beautiful too and, yeah, and it is different gorgeous, like that yeah. adds to the charm of it but yeah I don't I don't know like if you could claim that it is alternate Asia considering that there's all of this it like the the comic book itself is so entrenched in its own political system and its own history mm-hmm. that it creates in in the fantasy world and doesn't really uh, nod to. Asian history that we are familiar with. Right. Actually, I think that's really interesting that you say that because I know having read sort of Marjorie Liu's little expert excerpt at the ending of each issue that she talks about how this was really inspired by her parents, her grandparents' experience in China during World War II. Oh, and that really alter- that really like put the story in a different perspective for me. I read mm. I read it through that sort of war story survival lens. Mm. And I actually thought it was very interesting because as I was reading it, because my grandparents had a very similar experience looking at sort of the way that the 
human federation was treating the archaic people it reminded me a lot of sort of the stories i had heard of the mm. war crimes right. that japan had committed against other east asian countries during world war ii and that was very interesting to me and i wasn't sure if it was intentional or if it's just because i knew she was inspired by her parents ex her grandparents experience during world war ii that i read it in that way but I, yeah I mean, for me reading it i saw it a lot as like these are you know very relatable, relevant, and sort of universal stories of survival mm -hmm. and war. Right. And it doesn't really matter what world that you, what world you're in. It's that they all sort of apply, and like the horrors of war are the same everywhere. All right. Mm -hmm. So I guess to go off of that, just to use that as a jumping off point, that was you know a perfect description of kind of what monstrous is is how monstrous's world is presented. But do you would any of you? I guess it's not mutually exclusive, but I was going to ask if we think it's more of a war story versus a fantasy story. I guess they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but That's I think it's more of like a war story to me. Like or to me, it reads more like that. I'm not I'm less I think I feel less fantastical as a reader about it. And it seems much more kind of or. I mean, it, it tries to be funny, too, so I can't say. But what do you guys think? I guess I don't see it as a war story because the war already happened. Yeah, they're in a stalemate mm -hmm. at this right. point. I definitely agree with that. I think it, mm -hmm. I, at least for me, like my, maybe it's just my intrigue and my like curiosity of the mythology in this world mm -hmm. that I want it to be a fantastical story. OK, instead yeah, no, of I see war, that. Yeah, of a war story, because I don't know, there's just so much to learn in this world, mm -hmm. including like just through the art itself, like yeah. the ghosts and these spirits. And mm. There's so much to to see and to read. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. It's it's very open to having magic and technology coexist. Also very in touch with the natural forces. Spirituality is not left mm -hmm. out. So it's very interesting because not that the world doesn't have rules, but it's very interesting because it seems to have all aspects of science and religion. Somehow. And they don't conflict. And they don't yeah. conflict, no. Yeah. And Interestingly, from what I understand, it doesn't seem like any or I don't want to say any, but most of the struggle isn't based on belief systems necessarily. Mm. It's more just like, you know, it's already understood that science and magic coexist and whatever. And there, this is a truth about spirituality. This is a truth about these weird demon hair things that we see that mm -hmm. are gorgeous and terrifying at the same time. But it's more about it's just like this very basic us versus them kind of thing. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I also, I mean, we we have to talk about the inquisitrixes because <laughs> they are super badass, but like it's it, they're described as the personal coven to the mother superior or is her her name is Destria, I think. She's called like the all mother or the holy mother. Most holy mother. Most holy mother. <laughs> which is so weird because then it kind of I I almost yeah, I almost got confused because I didn't know how to take that in the sense that it's it just mixes the religion and the politics. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, okay, well, choose one. Right. <laughs> you can't be, you're not. And then that, then it like kind of goes into whether gods exist and how they treat gods and whether she's considered a god. Right. Because she's, because they're, they're not arcane, but they're witches or something, right? The Inquisitrixes? Or, or yeah, like just, the mother superior and the so apparently, inquisitrixes. I, what I remember is that they were human at some point and they transformed themselves into witches. So, oh. Like they kind of like 
not inherited, but more so created this identity and basically obtained power to become Mm -hmm. witches. And we could see really gruesome details of what goes wrong. Yeah. And when they can't. Oh, they're like necromancers. Yeah, when they're not able to control this power because they're not meant to. Mm. You know, so I don't know what their role is actually in this world. Like the they're like policing, but it's also like not that. Yeah, either. it's not that either. So because it doesn't feel good. No, yeah. it's not. Mm. Uh, actually, I think that the witches in this story are part of a religious order and the Kamiya is a religious order, sort of okay. um, sort of like how like. I don't know if anybody here watches Game of Thrones, but sort of how like the Red Keep and then the High Sparrows are sort of a religious order that the government uses in order to control the people. Mm, okay. I think that's that what the Kamiya is for. And I think that they're witches, um, but they're considered, they're like humans who have abilities. And in this world, I don't think he, like if we're kind of suspending, you know, our reality and we're using or we're integrating magical realism into the story mm. that humans, that like, the Kamiya and the witches are human and they're actually con- like described as like pure blood. Um, mm-hmm. I think they actually have a really big role in the series because I know that the war or like the reason why the humans and the arcanic people went to war and like what like one of the things that led to the Battle of Constantine was actually this affair between one of the mm-hmm. witches at Kamiya and mm-hmm. like an arcanic stonemason. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the Kamiya actually play a really pivotal role in the series as sort of the, like the police force of the Federation. So the Kamiya are defenders of, I guess, the human Federation then? Sort of like how they're described is that they're on like the out, they're like outside of the wall, but like in the truce lands, but they are the ones. Oh, okay. Sort of, they're like regulating the kind of separation between. Yeah. The, the they play like kind of like the and, eye, you know, they watch they're border over. Police. Oh yeah. They are border yeah. police. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I'm confused because I, I don't know if the, I guess the quote unquote border police are, you know, magical beings or human or because there's like the daughters of Eden who are just human, right. like straight up human. Yes. And even Yvette or Lady Yvette is brought back to life and all this shit. Uh-huh. But <laughs> she but she's like she's the 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 all mother makes a point to be like, no, but you're superhuman, though, is the thing. You're mm-hmm. like so basic. <laughs> <laughs> So you want powers, but you don't have any. So I kind of am just thinking, are they just wielders of magic? And that's kind of a like just something that was unclear to me that I wasn't sure. Yes, Christine. (laughs) Sorry. Um, No, don't be sorry. Why are you apologizing? (laughs) I think they actually talk when this. What's her name again? Destia? Yeah, it's Destria. Yeah, Destria. Destria. Mm. When Destria and Yvette are talking, like once Yvette's been revived that actually like they were changed by the 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 battle of constantine so something that happened at the battle of constantine like kind of gave the kumia their like powers and i think that's what the lilium is the substance that they've extracted from the arcanic people mm-hmm. is how yeah. I it's like it. yeah they we they weaken it's like the kryptonite for the arcanic people right yeah. and then it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's and like then exactly it strengthens the, the human yeah Mm. So, yeah, so I guess basically we're three issues in and we still don't know what the Battle of Constantine, like we don't know what really happened there. Just to kind of tie into that, what do we think Micah's role in the war or like what do we think her role was in the war? Do you think she was like a huge player? Because it seems like people know who she is when like the moment she appears, they're just like, you. (laughs) 
that's true i think though they see her more uh more as mariko's daughter mm-hmm. mariko i think had a bigger we, yeah mariko's mm-hmm. the mom and i right, think right, right, her right. role was without a doubt extremely important in this whole battle and we still don't know what happened but destria and yvette do talk about that yeah they they do they she mentions that right like how powerful mariko was and, and how then yvette says i didn't think there was anyone more powerful right. until I met her daughter. And Destria's like, psh, no. Right. <laughs> oh, she, gonna, she gonna learn though. Oh, damn. But I mean, I guess my, I'm trying to like still understand all the groups because that's that's why to me, I think I just have it in my head at that it's a war story because mm-hmm. it so reminds me of kind of the very ambivalent politics of like lord of the rings where it's just like there's like the the world of men and mm-hmm. then there's the elves and then you know it's right. like there's many different races or groups of people and how it's not just black and white that's kind of why i like a, what, what i like about it though it's not like oh you're attacking our city it's very it much it's very much kind of taking place in multiple mm-hmm. areas at once and you experience like post-war basically right. um in different ways and i think that what do I think? Do I think anything? Oh, what do we think about what they call the Leviathan, but we call the hair monsters? <laughs> I had, when that name popped up on the website. Yeah, we are just like, what? Yeah. I was very, I was a little surprised. I mean, they're kind of these ghost creatures, I thought. Or like they, uh, they're just there, but yeah. they don't do too much well, right now. I think Chula was saying that they, like they, they're not even really sure what they are yet. Right. And it's like this, it, they're like weird blimps that just kind of, <laughs> are there and but they're not really. but they don't but they don't hurt anyone but they have power yeah but they yeah, have they have like harbor a lot of power yeah. and i think that kind of goes back to what we've been saying throughout the podcast is that we don't there's a lot of things that very necessary things in the story <laughs> so that we questions. don't know yet right and it's still like it keeps it keeps us hooked but there's also a level of just like when mm-hmm. when are you gonna know, tell us when do we you know, know. Yeah. yes the cat is funny but right like, what <laughs> what is happening and how did how did Micah get that in her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. what is her mother's betrayal? Because, yeah, always, exactly. And then why? About that. Well, because they were, Mariko was apparently friends with Yvette or something. Right. They and were. I was like, right. So I was like, so are you arcane? Are you arcane or are you, are you from Zamora, <laughs> which is the middle city between the two fighting? Like, you know, it's just, this is why I think it's like a war story because there's just so much. Mm, like, like yeah. territorial stuff that you have to think Very about too and it kind of reminds me of um i don't know if anyone read it but garth nix wrote that book um sabriel yes it's like that abortion oh, okay sorry anyway yes christine <laughs> yeah i actually like have to disagree or like agree with uk and that like i think that this is a the story monstrous uses fantasy as sort of a tool to tell a story like not a war story but a story about war mm-hmm. and like the everlasting effects of war right? right so i mean the whole like this whole dispute between this whole battle between the human federation and the arcanic people is founded primarily on like prejudice because like the word pure blood gets like brought up a lot in this and so i think it's i think it is a story about war and i think fantasy is just one tool that lu and takeda use to create a more rich world that where they can tell a story that's very relatable but also Mm. you know takes like like it invokes sort of your imagination and you can and you can do a lot of things with fantasy that you can't do because in like our world in stories set in our world because we're so tied by you know 
other how other people will interpret those stories based mm-hmm. on your own personal experiences. So I think that fantasy allows authors to sort of tell a story with like a clean slate almost. Right. And that they, they don't have to worry about implications on their readers by like referencing real events. Mm-hmm. But I think that they still use like it's still like even though they're using fantasy to sort of wipe the plate clean and create their own world, they're referencing like very relatable human experiences like war. Fantasy helps us to suspend our disbelief. Yeah. Dis- yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're using. It's a vehicle. Yeah, exactly. I-, I was just thinking still about like the Leviathans, I guess, mm-hmm. and how the people in the in, in this country think of the Leviathans as gods, but simultaneously mm-hmm. think of them as dead. Or like creatures, yeah. And, and like Micah makes that statement about how like the, the dead don't see and like these mm-hmm. these things are dead. And like, I just think that it's like, in this fantasy world, it makes it possible one to have these things just kind of floating around and nobody really gives a shit. Um, mm. But it's like it's, it's an interesting an symbol in about like this They're country that has there. lost its gods. Mm-hmm. Like, no. and and I how Micah think- has like this god living inside of her. So I don't know if this will like tie into anything in the future plot about like her bringing them back, perhaps. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Oh, I spent a lot of my subconscious mind while I was reading this wondering what the Leviathans even were and yes. like what the point of them even was and I think that having that symbol of the, the these gods are dead and like these like people are still like having hope by like giving them small offerings and stuff like treating them as gods but not really knowing mm-hmm. what to make of them mm-hmm. and these people feeling very where they and where they are and what they believe and uh, and displaced in like the very world and like the rules of the world that they like live in Mm. that says a lot about just like the state of where these people are Mm. and how they are living and how they are dealing with this like weird these weird leviathons floating around and Mm. um even more so with micah who has one floating around inside of her (laughs) yeah i mean it's interesting because just to kind of tie in also what we were just talking about with fantasy kind of suspending our belief a little bit it's It's also kind of like what animation does right now as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of there's like that uncanny valley where things could be like too like just weird enough that it's different and it unsettles you. But then just real enough that you're like, this makes me feel things and it's like uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think fantasy is that kind of genre where you take these very human ideas that Christine was talking about and these human problems and putting them in this hyper reality where you can understand why those things are happening, but it's also in a plane where there's just like, I think Tula called them ghosts of gods, just like yeah. floating mm-hmm. around. And we don't even understand what that means. But Christine, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think the Leviathans actually are probably the more interesting aspect of the story to me because mm-hmm, for sure. I, because like for, I think kind of like is a symbol, the fact that these are dead gods is a symbol of the state of religion in the world of Monstrous. Right. Mm-hmm. In that like if nobody, like because I think what has is happening is that humans can no longer see these gods, but the arcanic people still can. And I think the reason that they're dead or they can't do anything is like sort of a an implicit way of saying, you know, if nobody believes in the gods anymore, if nobody can see them, like, do they really exist? And do gods have power mm. if the people who are, are supposed to believe in them don't believe in them anymore and can no longer see them? That's- and then I think it's also very interesting to think about what is the role of God or in gods in the sort of like in our world, you know, in our in the mortal 
or arcanic world, are gods supposed to play a role? And I think that's a very interesting sort of difference between, in my opinion, like Western religion and Eastern religions. Mm. Is I know a lot of Eastern religions, like gods are just there, but they don't play a role in our lives. Versus I know like in Christianity and... They're like consequences. Like, yeah, like in a lot of Western mm-hmm. religions, like God is a very active force in a person's life. Right. So it's a very interesting sort of difference. That's really interesting. We're actually going to talk more about that in our next segment, segment four, which is about visual symbolism and the artwork. Yay! The amazing <laughs> artwork. Okay, so while the while the shots are pouring, we're going to jump into segment four, which is the visual symbolism and art segment. I do not want tequila ever in my life. Wow, you have a lot of tequila there. Oh, mine? Yeah, that's for you guys. The newbies are taking a shot of tequila as one should to your to your health guys <laughs> take your shots or eat your luna bar if that's applicable to you <laughs> yes all right all right down the hatch goodbye <laughs> good now you'll be nice and loose for talking about the art we can be really enthusiastic Yay! about it all right so just to kind of get us started on you know just how amazing the art is i kind of wanted to talk about the eclipsing eye imagery Mm -hmm. and how not only do we see it in those kind of i mean they're called leviathan i guess or you know the floating hair ghost things (laughs) that hold a lot of power but we're not really sure their significance yet uh they might be these omniscient characters or uh, creatures but I kind of noticed that it also parallels with eye imagery in like peacock feathers because you see it on peacock yeah it's like you see it on like uh, Yvette's kimono I think Mm -hmm. so it's interesting that it's it has a lot of eastern culture mixed in there but it's just symbolic enough that it's not appropriating anything right makes any sense so um what do we think the eye imagery means i don't know is it as easy like a spiritual thing like is it the third eye yeah i was thinking that too but then it's also i don't know if i'm just not well versed in religion and if the eclipsing eye is an actual thing because i feel like eye imagery is a huge thing in a lot of different religions and cultures so how did everyone else read that aside from the fact that it's beautiful it's like the eye of sauron yeah sauron yeah yeah. i wonder why that is yeah maybe it doesn't mean mean? anything maybe it's just a aesthetic in our right because it's very unsettling for sure that's another thing and the fact that she has it on her chest yeah why and it's there it's like an open it's like a gateway or an Mm, opening into her soul there's like vaginal overtones. eyes are the window <laughs> to the soul eyes are the windows to the vagina <laughs> i think that's only half true i don't think that that's, <laughs> i don't think that that was purposeful i don't think they were actively like guys yeah we vagina have to turn references. the eye we have to turn the eye on its side right. because reasons because that is an eye image i've seen before i'm sure but we don't really know what it means it doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean it doesn't represent humans but what do you think christine I have no idea, but I have <laughs> seen the whole like vertical eye, third eye in a lot of manga in my time. So I was wondering yeah. if it was like some uh, sort okay. of Japanese symbol. I have mm. no idea, though. If, but I've definitely well, seen that image Asia. a lot, like repeated a lot in manga. Right. I second that, actually. I remember, I don't know if you've read Soul Eater, Chris. Yes, I thought that, yes. too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> with yeah, like, yeah. the like, bandaged guy. Yes, that's, like, the bandages. Yes. Oh, my yeah, God, yes. Yeah. You yes, know, Asura, Asura, right? Asura, yeah. yeah. 
I think and that, and it's also in it's yeah, also, it's also in Naruto, and it's also in um, mm. Berserk. It's like, and it's also in. Have you ever read Uzumaki by? Has anybody read Uzumaki? It's I don't like so. by this yeah, really famous. It's like a very famous Japanese like horror comic manga. Mm-hmm. But that's like in it all the times. So I feel like it has to do with something with like ancient Japanese like folklore or something that like I it just must. don't understand. It because must. I am not Japanese. No, I think I think that's actually really valid. You know, it's it's actually kind of pathetic because I should know because I have Japanese parents, so I should know something about that, but I don't. But I think. The eye imagery does come up a lot in Japanese folklore for sure. And also, I know that the Japanese flag is of the red sun so and it's like very minimalist. So it might also just kind of have these overlapping meanings of just, well, one unity and also purity and also just kind of oneness, I guess, which would explain kind of the spiritual ambiguity around it. So for me, it reminded me of, I mean, stepping just out of si- outside of um, comics for like a second. Mm-hmm. But Pan's Labyrinth, when she totally. enters that, you know, dining hall. Right. And there's, and there's this, the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the Good. The whole, we did that in unison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole like monster with the eyes. And I think it's like kind of the awakening of the monster within sort of mm. um, like symbolic. So it's a little fore- foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe. I think so. Well, um, that's interesting because we do think I of... mean... Yes? Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, it might actually... Like, maybe we're reading too much into it and it may not have any symbolism as all, at all just to be, like, unnerving and disturbing to a human audience. So, mm-hmm. it, like, just reinforces the sort of alien aspect of these leviathans or dead gods. But it's also... Yeah, but I think that that's actually valid too because, you know, what is it if it is, if we are reading too much into it, that's fair. But it's also, why is that image so unsettling? You know, because it is symmetrical, but again, it's not, you know, I guess, quote unquote, normal, even in this realm of fantasy. And, you know, what you were saying, Genesis, is really interesting because I wanted to go into like the mask's significance as a totem mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it's a mask. It's right. not a ring like in Lord of the Rings or it's not a wand. It's not, you know, it could have been any banal object and they decided to make it a fragmented mask. And then there's this whole metaphor, extended metaphor about sight and seeing and, you and know. masks mm. conceal. Yeah. yeah. So that's like it's it goes into that kind of idea of being secret or hiding something, but then also acknowledging a very real part of you. So... Do you think that at least that is purposeful? Like the fact that it's a mask and... There's definitely a juxtaposition Mm -hmm. between the two. And it's got to play a big role coming up. There's got to be. I think we're going to see it a lot. The mask is obviously a big part of it because it's already been set up to be a big part of it. It's a fragment. So there's another piece somewhere. Yeah. Someone has it. Well, I mean, but isn't it implied also that, that Micah received a piece already from her mother and... But that, then, that might be the thing that her mother gave to her. Yeah, well, because, or I thought that that was the implication, but it, it wasn't a physical piece anymore. That's why she right, has right. this weirdness, right? this weird tentacly hair monster. And that's why she has the ability to touch the other piece we, without yeah, getting right. injured. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, but like, uh, obviously this is all speculation because right. we're not sure. We're only three issues in and there's a lot of information, but no order to it yet, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, like what, 
when I when I saw that the mask was the totem of power, pretty much, it's interesting because it, it makes me think of what Oscar Wilde said, I think, in, in The Importance of Being Earnest, or it might have been a different piece of writing, but he was saying, like, man is least himself when he speaks in his own person. If you give him a mask, he will show his true right. self. So it's interesting because this totem that is typically used to conceal a person's identity is kind of the key now to Micah figuring herself out. To revealing. Yeah, mm-hmm. to revealing this truth about herself because we know there's some weird stuff going on yeah. in her. Which is interesting because the first, the very first scene of the first like issue is of Micah bare, naked. Very vulnerable. Yeah, very vulnerable, but just thinking about that she already has this, she already has this um, mask like inside of her or something it just makes it seem that there's a lot more to her than this image of her being naked and there's like more Mm. to her character you know and that's Mm. just it's 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 from the start like you get this scene of her like you think that's that her she's just standing there and she's naked and you know there's i don't there's so much more to her than that i don't Mm -hmm. know i don't know how to explain it but yeah like um, it suggests a lot more because she's a fragmented person as well and she needs to find all these pieces so like i i guess that's just like the entire there the image throughout it and like if anything it acts kind of as just a unifying kind Mm. of image even if we don't know what its exact significant significance is quite yet i think that in this world where like magic is such an important thing too like those two images typically have a connection like Mm. eyes have a very spiritualistic kind of connotation and um the symbol of the witches at least most of their their official garb has that image of the eye surrounded by the wings Mm. Uh, yeah mm -hmm. that's true too that's an, that's actually really interesting that the they have the image of the eye, but it's surrounded by the wings. What do we, I mean, again, speculation, but just on a visual symbolism level, what do we think the significance of kind of that difference is by adding the wings to the eyes versus just Micah's like mark? Yeah, standard, you know, without sans wings. <laughs> Anybody think? Wings to fly away, flight of some kind, obviously. I feel that the wings are a symbol of like elevation of thought sort of like that like Mm. i think with like eyes are very symbolic in that they are sort of this like cliched window into the soul but they also are used to see the world and it's like like how i like to think of it is like eyes if you can fly like the way you're gonna see the world is different Mm. like you're gonna see it from perspective that other people wouldn't see so eyes with wings i think like the symbolic meaning is that if you bear that symbol of the eyes with wings you are sort of one of the elevated like chosen when you're like enlightened right yeah you're like enlightened essentially yeah Mm -hmm. like and the eye but the eye is also a very barbaric symbol. It's a very mm. vulnerable spot in the human body. So it's it, it's, there's like this duality with the eye is like a very gruesome image, but it's also incredibly important in sort of how we interpret our world. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense? No, it does make sense because it makes me think of, I mean, when you were talking about duality, it makes me think of kind of Eastern and Western culture and how it plays into how the history and the world is built in Monstrous. But it's kind of interesting because I think I made a note saying that Mariko, Mariko, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. her, um, she was, there was mentions of her being called the Sword of the East. 
or like it was like really brief. It might have been in like the last issue or something. But which is really interesting because we did talk about Eastern and Western cultural influences and how the cultures are represented in the story. And we can all, I think, agree that there's a lot of, you know, Asian influences in there. But do you think that there's also kind of elements of, I don't know, I don't know if I know enough about history to say this, but how, you know, the eye with the wings imagery kind of suggests that this group of people is more enlightened. And that to me kind of reads as a very Eastern European thing to think while Mm. or like because I can't say Western either. I I don't know. Maybe. okay. I'm not sure what I'm going with that. I feel like they're drawing heavily on also like Egyptian imagery. Mm-hmm. especially in the last issue where she sort of I don't know if it's a premonition or a dream or hallucination but she is like transported to this sort of vaguely Egyptian looking temple where oh, she yeah. sees her mother that's right yeah mm-hmm. so I feel like they're drawing a lot from sort of Egyptian imagery and I icon- like icons mm-hmm. but I unfortunately don't know very much about that so I like can't say with any sort of authority what those images represent. I love that we're so respectful. We're <laughs> yeah, just like, we're so respectful. We're just like, it seems like it implicates this culture and aspects of this other culture, but I don't know for sure. I don't want to be disrespectful. Like, that's Yeah, like the worst thing you can do is say something and it's like totally wrong. You're yeah, like, oh, crap. for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I, I see exactly what you're talking about with mm-hmm. the Egyptian... Uh, style to it yeah. is because there like is actually hieroglyphs kind of. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this temple, in this kind of vision that she has. I and, actually love that scene. And it's like, arcane means like a dog and it's interesting because that goes back to Egyptian culture as right. well, which is very right. like Anubis is the god of death yeah. and you know, mm-hmm. that's just so interesting because it goes into it just, oh, it's for lack of a better word, it's just awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. Well, like one, one thing I really picked up on in that scene was actually right next to i don't know if it's anubis but i think it was next to him is a two-tailed cat which is Uh basically master ren so i was i was intrigued if there's going to be some connection there i mean there must be because we know that master ren has some sort of in and he like Mm -hmm. knows he knows the deets but he he won't spill (laughs) yeah he's got some he's being with casually withholding but there's definitely some stuff going on with the Egyptians and cats. Yeah. And cats do play a large role in this story. Yeah. I mean, cats There's, are not even about, they're not to be trusted. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah, scared exactly. of them. Yeah. That are really Which big is role also, in, the, yeah. in the war. Mysterious that's, like a cat. Well, that's the thing. It's so interesting because, again, it goes back to what I was saying about how this story somehow combines many different kinds of, not only just historically relevant or, you know, d- like culturally relevant aspects. Like, it's not just... What is it? Oh, what is that word? It's not the variety in it is not just in the culture, uh, the culture. It's also kind of even aspects of stories that we've seen before or we've read before. Like it reminds me of the movie The Mummy. And it also reminds me a little bit of Sabriel, which is the abortion series and reminds me of Lord of the Rings or it reminds it like any epic kind of. And it's an epic journey. Yeah. And it's. It's nice to see that just because there's so much in there because it I can't decide whether it's a cinematic series or if it's more, you know, more like an anime kind of because it may it reads like that a little bit with the mysticism in there. Mm-hmm. I think I think that it reads a lot like anime and manga and um, sort of how like 
anime and manga, they are pretty liberal in how they draw from different mythologies and different landscapes. Mm-hmm. And I think this monstrous definitely does that. Like I like I noticed while I was reading it that like a lot of the paneling and sort of the imagery that they use is really like reminiscent of these two seinen mangas and animes that I love, Berserk and Bokurano. Like they mm-hmm. really like the just even the way that they panel the script is very like it reminds me a lot of sort of anime and manga and that right. I see like that Japanese influence in there. Well, also with manga, it's a very different type of storytelling than American comics for sure. So I think that that I think with from my understanding, manga is supposed to read more like visual poetry. So it, mm-hmm. it does tend to be a lot more cinematic. Yeah. So it's interesting that that aspect of it is still in there. And yeah. So I will I, say that there's like a lot more focus on the detail of the background in the art mm-hmm. and then really have a whole bunch of one page spreads of the settings and a lot of in the issues where you just can mm-hmm. soak in the environment you're in and the mood and the tone of what's happening. There are a lot of shots of people's faces just mm-hmm. like reflecting what sorts of conflict they're feeling mm. at the time, which which I like at least from reading from reading understanding comics and like reading manga myself and comparing that to like what I've seen in like graphic novels and like what I have read of of comics is is definitely a much more eastern style of of storytelling visual storytelling I mean it's also yeah. immersive it's definitely immersive mm-hmm. yeah I think I think manga does a really good job of sort of like like setting the tone or context yeah um, for sure. and they have a lot of sort of establishing images which is very like mm-hmm. a very cinematic thing where you sort of establish the scene right and like even i was just reading i noticed like every time they would show a leviathan or a god it just reminded me of the way that a lot of like like seinen mangas would like show like also show images of gods or like mechas or whatever the focal right. point was mm-hmm. like it was it like the, the 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 imagery invoked was very similar to those two mangas i thought yeah i agree i think again it kind of goes back to how like diverse the whole comic is even and also with manga for sure i agree that it it takes a lot of time to establish set or mood because that matters like that's very immersive and i think that american comics tend to not necessarily lack in that but just don't prioritize that as much Mm -hmm. because it's very much kind of about the immediacy of it it's very we only have 23 pages to get the first thing out and that's why it was so important that monstrous the first issue came out as like a deluxe issue kind of because it was like 72 pages Mm -hmm. and you need that you definitely need that much ground to set yourself up for this world because it's it goes in it goes in her feelings and her and her emotions and yeah you need panels to portray that and you need mm-hmm. not just panels but like you know t- actual time to delve into her just one single emotion that she's going through because she's obviously she's going through a lot and it's interesting because i correct me if i'm wrong but there's not a lot of sound effects either not many at all yeah they Which come is, from people yeah yeah there's like, a lot of women someone. screaming like or whatever. <laughs> yeah but like it's so interesting because you know, this does, like, why not? Like, it just makes you think, why didn't they choose to make it a manga instead? You know? And it's, like, why they made the decision to kind of break the barrier into comics more. And part of the reason is, again, this might be a really ignorant thing to say, but from what I understand, manga usually just reads as black and white. It's just ink. Oh, right. uh, Mm -hmm. Drawings. And some of the filler pages are 
colored but it's i don't know if that's just it but how do you guys think just to kind of wrap up this segment what do you think is done well in her art for monstrous and what do you think if there's anything what do you think is lacking take your time i think i think that it's it was a very smart idea to not make this a manga and to really like sell the graphic novel aspect of it because like one you want to reach a broader audience right like you want american and western audiences to be able to read this and like relate to it still so committing to just the manga style you know it's such a great story why would you limit your audience in that way Mm -hmm. um but also i think that it plays a lot on Takeda's strengths as an artist because she's primarily a colorist right for Miss Marvel Mm -hmm. and for the work she Mm -hmm. did on X on um, X-Men yeah Yeah. so I think that if just look like reading the comic the art is so like organic and rich and illustrative and like the way she uses textures and like the entire thing is in a watercolor sort Mm -hmm. of format like Mm -hmm. that is so rich that it would be it would be like a giant waste of Takeda's talents as an artist to do it in black and white and I think the art for me is one of the more is one of the stronger points of the of the comic so far mm-hmm. of the graphic novel mm-hmm. because for me like I feel like the plot is the pacing is a little bit still t- trying to adjust and the pacing needs a little right. bit of work and also the characterization maybe not totally there yet but the art is so captivating and so beautiful that I think it really it like pushes the story along I mean do you think that it would be fair to say that in terms of pacing that kind of goes into what they might be typically familiar with because I'm sure they are familiar with the 23 page deadline and everything but because of how the art is how the culture is and how the story is written I almost feel like it reads as something that I would wait till the whole series was out and then just read it in one sitting because it's like this grand epic it's almost like trying to segment the you know I keep going back to Lord of the Rings but you know like segmenting like the trilogy in some way that feels organic even though it's kind of just this one grand story story. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I think that might have a lot to do with why you know in just a short issue per month the pacing is a little off just because they're not it's not just a mini story arc and then a cliffhanger it's so big it's so there's so much going on it's more like chapters in a book than issue by issue yeah i would say it would do a much better job if it was just sort of released as like novel like like a volume like here's the Mm. whole first volume Mm -hmm. and it covers sort of one arc like i wouldn't mind waiting and then reading the you know Mm -hmm. i don't know how long 200 page like Mm -hmm. or probably even longer than that 500 page like first volume because i think it would just tie in better and it would it would read better i agree because there's a lot of uh the things that we've been saying throughout this podcast are that there are a lot of things that we don't know like what the leviathan is what micah's past is like mm-hmm. why she has oh why she's like lost an arm etc and it might read more like if we have those answers maybe at the end of a long volume um yeah. with satisfying as a narrative experience perhaps though i do understand why this particular project would have the pressure to release us release it in shorter chunks Mm -hmm. just to generate like an audience and to generate support for the project since it is so unique and Mm -hmm. um original Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. fair i think so it needs that fan base first it does i mean and also i'm sure any of you can attest to this because I have this experience too. One of the main reasons why I even picked up Monstrous, the first issue in the first place, was because it stood out to me amongst the styles of comics right now. 
it just was mm-hmm. so like what are you doing here like yeah mm-hmm. you know and it's it's something that is like a visual or excuse me it's like more of an aesthetic that I have seen before but to see it in a kind of just even in a context of just being in the stacks with other comics that are really popular right now I'm just like what are you doing here like yeah. what's it definitely this? stands out so I think yeah I think that Mide had a really good point there where it's just kind of it does have to generate that fan base. Yeah, exactly. Like it has to kind of settle with someone. It's like, it's only for people who are willing to sit in for the ride. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's a lot. And yeah, so I think that that's the end of that segment. And then we're just going to go into our last segment and the outro, unless we have anything else that we want to say about the art, because it is, let's be honest, it's on. Unbelievable. We could have a podcast on only the art. We probably could. <laughs> tuck just it up. Praising, just just praising yeah, her. T- it's like, tuck it up, please. Just never <laughs> stop doing art. It's perfect. Uh, it's so pretty. I really do love that she did the color and the artwork because I feel like right. it, it mm-hmm. didn't hold her back in any way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She just let loose. I think there is a certain kind of beauty that goes in with an like an inker and a colorist working together to create something good right. because that that's its own skill set. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. It's similar to how one would feel if you were reading something that was written and drawn by someone because then it's just like so stylistically different and you can tell that they're just free to do it. And I think, I believe it was Takeda who said that she her dream was to work with Marjorie Liu anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. So imagine like how much freedom she was, like how much freedom she was given and also just, you know, the connection she felt with her anyway already and was just already you know, like just on board with yep. what Marjorie, like the story that Marjorie, Marjorie Lou wanted to tell. And that Marjorie obvi- gave her a lot of kind of leeway mm-hmm. of just doing, just do it. Yeah, because it's so visually, like it's just on a, just aesthetically, it's so stimulating. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, like I was just thinking about, I even made a note. I didn't even know how to like bring it into conversation, but there's even their armor yes. or like their face mask oh is like gosh. so... It's so fierce. I just yeah. I'm like what? I want all their outfits. Like literally. I was like, like the there's no chain. reason why I would ever need those things. And I don't know if they're actually protective, but it's magical, so I want it. Yeah. Yep. Because and like because they brought back um Yvette and she's like a zombie and they just put like this fierce mm-hmm. pointy mask on her face. <laughs> and it's it's like a tattoo mask. Yes. And you're just like, that looks awesome. <laughs> I will be literally back. every outfit look like it came out of a fashion runway show like it's just mm-hmm. gorgeous. very high very high very end. high end like couture. yeah it's very like couture. <laughs> yeah couture you, you don't go to you just don't you don't go to like dunkin donuts with that shit <laughs> on <laughs> unless you're on your everyone's own, like, hair is gorgeous too. Oh, haircuts i know but i think I it's like they're so su- fabulous superior. they could go to dunkin donuts in it and, i mean like, they would i don't think that's i don't think it's discouraging <laughs> i think people can it's just more like I'm going to look badass during this post-war shit right now because mm-hmm. I'm magical and I work with my sisters apparently and we <laughs> our names are Hammer and Pin and like, <laughs> like so crazy. But that's awesome. All right. So I think that's it for that segment. All right. So this is segment five and it's going to go right into the outro after we're done with segment five. Our last segment is going to be on Susan Batson's truth, which is how we're going to characterize Micah, the protagonist of Monstrous today. Susan Batson is an acting coach. She uses her truth theory from her book. It's a description of 
how to be the most authentic uh, characterization of a role that you might be playing. So the three categories that she has are public persona, which is the mask that you present to people or how you want people to see you. Uh, Need is what one truly desires and what you can't you feel like you can't share with anyone. And then the tragic flaw is the jam up or the conflict between the need and the persona. So let's try to apply this to Micah and see if we have any different thoughts on that. So Genesis, do you want to start off? Which one? Just any one? Yeah, you can start off with anyone. Just just keep the keep the mic close to your face. I'm sorry. Forever. (laughs) Don't stop. I guess I mean for me the need comes more it's more apparent that her need to like figure out the truth of her past and to mm-hmm. figure out what actually happened in this war and how she came to be and i for for me her the role the relationship the relationship between the mom and her is really strong and i want mm. that's one thing that i want to learn more about mm. just because it seems that it's mold her in such a way it, it's molded her but she doesn't know necessarily how mm. you know and so i i kind of want to learn more about that but yeah i think that's one of her needs at least mm-hmm. to learn more about her mother and how she relates to her and her history mm-hmm. but yeah so that's okay something. and then how do you think she wants other people to see her i mean just by reading the second issue i think we it's apparent that like she wants to be seen as this i don't know like this person that is very sufficient by herself mm-hmm. and very self-reliant and mm. capable of defending herself and being on her own mm-hmm. um, and finding her journey on by herself. So mm. I think that's kind of like what I felt. Okay. And then I guess I'll expand it to Emily too. Do you, if you agree with Genesis, what do you think her tragic flaw might be? Like what is the jam up between kind of her need to look strong, but then having a very sincere need to know what, what or who she is? Well, she's not going to be able to ask for help. Mm. So she get like, in, it's funny because she actually, in her trying to be strong, she makes herself more vulnerable. Definitely. To yeah. the conflicts yeah. that she faces. Interesting. And of course, she has the cat coming along with her that she's not happy about. No. She does not want him there, but he needs to be there. But she could kill him and she doesn't. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that weird? Like, she's very angry that he's there. but it's she just, is. But I'm just like, yeah, but you're not. You're not an evil being. It's it no. goes back to herself, like her belief in that she's a horrible monster right. or something. I think that the conflict between like her wanting to learn about her past, but also like this, like the front that needs to put up is very much like shown in what I think her tragic flaw is, is like her fear. Mm-hmm. I think fear on multiple levels, like fear of like what is going to happen to her, fear of like the unknown, mm. um, fear of herself. And her inability to connect with other people like Master Ren or, Mm. you know, because she doesn't know what she can trust. She doesn't know, like, what she can believe in. And and it's, like, Mm -hmm. all compounding on her to create this, like, persona then. Like, that is what gives her the pressure to create this strong, brave persona. Because in reality, like, she's she is in the middle of a bunch of shit. And (laughs) she has every right to be afraid. Interesting. Awesome. What do you think, Christine? Uh, I think I would just sort of agree and reiterate with what Emily said about I think that her need is to discover her identity that wasn't an identity that she defines for herself that's not thrust upon her Mm. by others in society as how they view her but how she views herself and I think that her persona that she puts up is this 
this girl who doesn't need anybody, who's very individualistic and self-reliant and independent. But Mm -hmm. the tragic flaw being that she is not in control of her own self and not in control of her Mm -hmm. actions and this sort of hunger that takes over her. And so her like where the sort of the climax is going to happen is when she eventually does need help and she needs help from other people, but is unable to ask for help. Mm. Yeah, I I like I think that that's actually a really that's a really good description just because I also think that well, I actually think that her I I mean, I agree with everyone in the sense that public persona I definitely think she wants to appear self-reliant and strong and that she doesn't need anyone, which is a very typical, you know, attitude to have when you're afraid or when you're upset or unsure about something. But I do think her need is more that she, you know, like many other characters, I the first one I think of is Emma Frost from X-Men, obviously. But she she needs she needs like control. And part of that control is to understand herself or her identity because she is very aware of maybe not the severity or maybe actually only the severity, but none of the details behind this problem she's having. Like she she ate that poor boy with no hands. Yeah. And she was like, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's so sad. That's like, scary. Yeah. So she's she knows that she is a danger to everyone, but she doesn't know why. And typically you would look for the reason why to try to kind of cure yourself or at least control yourself. Of course, yeah. So I think her need is kind of to control things or control herself and understand herself. And the tragic flaw in that is, you know, to go off of what you all were saying, uh, she's lonely She's really lonely. Like there's a part where you can tell that she's upset that Tula didn't wait for her, even though she left her first. Right. And it's got to hurt. Yeah. And it's it's it kind of it's funny because we were talking about before how this is like a growing up story or kind of a, a maturity story where she makes a transition into like having a proper character development where she realizes something about herself. And It's funny because for me, I think part of her tragic flaw as well as her being lonely is that I think she's kind of selfish as well. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I I think she's like really selfish. And that's interesting to me because that's kind of what I was getting at with her likability or not. Just because it's like, like I understand her and I feel for her and I really do care about what happens to her, which is a you know perfect hero already or like Mm -hmm. anti-hero if you want but at the same time i'm just like wow you're like a really selfish person Mm -hmm. like you just do not you do things under the guise of caring about people which you probably do but by doing that you just disregard how they might feel about you yep and that's why you left tula and that's why it hurts when she didn't wait for you because it's like you did the same shit and it's funny because that's kind of a certain level of ignorance about her that makes me think she's like very immature and right. even though she's like a very stoic person, I think she's like extremely immature. And I think that that's kind of her tragic flaw that she, you know, I think it was Christine who was saying that she kind of grew up too fast because she was in war and she had to. And she has experienced things that she shouldn't have, you know, lost a limb, whatever. And it's just funny because while she's had to grow up really fast, there's still a part of her that's kind of like stagnated as this child. That's like, no, well, I I don't accept that. So we have to do this now. Like even with the mask taking over her, she understands how evil or like how oppressive that is. But she's like, I'm not a monster. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to respect that almost naive. Or I don't want to say naive. We don't know what's going to happen. But like this very, just a shred of faith in herself that's like, okay, like I don't like myself, but I'm not a monster. So she really does need the control. Yeah. 
I actually think that, I mean, going off like when you're talking about selfishness, I think it's like that's kind of highlighted in that scene where she's in the wagon with Amelia mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't care. Like they can do what they want to me. Like I'm, I don't give a f- essentially. Right. And Amelia's like, well, it's not for you. It's for like, mm-hmm. it's for us to make sure that we don't get in trouble. And she just doesn't seem <laughs> to care. But I think that's the thing that she's wrestling with this entire time is actually her brutality and the fact that she is a monster but doesn't accept it and because like she and I think at the heart of it is because this is a story about survival and what it means to be a survivor Mm -hmm. sometimes it's almost worse to be a survivor than Mm -hmm. the actual war itself or to die at the hands of violence because like being a survivor like what does being a survivor do to you how do survivors treat each other and there was a really poignant line in the comic where it says yeah where it says like how do you survive and then how do you survive surviving right so like Mm. how do you survive the horrors of what you've been through and i think for a lot of survivors i kind of recalling like talking to my grandparents about this when they went through the war like um world war ii is being a survivor means kind of giving up some aspects of your humanity and and Mm. embracing that sort of savage side of you and i you know, like, it, it kind of reminds me of The Walking Dead. Like, mm. who do you fear? The walkers or the humans who have survived, you know? Right, right, um, right. And so I think it's Micah, like, she ha- she has to be selfish because as a survivor, like, that's the only way that mm. to survive in this world. I think that's really valid. That's yeah. a really good comparison with The Walking Dead, too, because it's very, it's like when you're backed into a corner, how are you going to act? And then how far will you go? Yeah, and it's about whether, you know, I mean, she already has that part of her that's, like, arcane, but... Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I to think of it more as kind of like the survival, this very strong survival instinct, which would also kind of highlight her loss of her limb and her just being like not even blase, because as you said, Christine, like she does recognize that there's like a ghost limb and she does, you know, recognize that she used to have a limb and it's not fun not having one. But at the same time, she's very like just takes it all in stride and she is a survivor. So I guess, yeah, the intrinsic selfishness might have to do with that. For sure. Yeah, it's like, what are you willing to do to survive? Like, what aspects of your humanity are you willing to give up in order to survive? Right. All right. So I know that Mita has to go. But just to finish up, Mito, did you want to say anything about what you think about her characterization or what you want to come next or what you predict will come next and any issues you might have had? Just mm-hmm. answer all the questions before you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that Micah's character has a lot of room for growth right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, she is a very like right now she is immature and like not in like the way of like she hasn't seen the world, but like in a way that like she doesn't know how to deal with it herself and like she shouldn't deal with it herself. So I'm really excited to see her relationships with other people grow and like letting those relationships inform how she will grow and like how she will mature. Mm -hmm. So do you think you have hope for her? I mean, it's kind of hard not to. (laughs) Like, as a reader, you want Mm -hmm. protagonist. And there are snippets, there are glimmers of hope throughout the whole, throughout the um, the issues. Like, you have that tribe of humans who are against the whole separation of humans and the arcane. Mm. And it's like, there are people who believe otherwise who are against this um, federation. So, like... I don't know if the trajectory of this comic book will be towards like something on the scale of Micah's self-discovery or something on the scale of like this whole country's reconnection with how it was or like like redevelopment and 
kind of civilization or society, this isn't such an epic scale. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was. And I'm really excited to see like what they'll come up with next. Cool. I, I'm excited too, but I'm also really worried because when, when it's like, when there's so much at stake like this, when it's an epic, it's either going to be a super predictable trajectory yeah. or, <laughs> or it's going to just be like, what the like, what? Or I, well, I hope, I would almost prefer if it didn't make sense. Over, over, cliche. yeah, for me, because at least then it's like, oh, like, right. That, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I can't see her living through this. I really can't. No, no, I don't see her surviving it at all. And also I get worried because as much as I like the little fox girl, I keep forgetting her name. Kippa. 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 Yeah. As much as I like her, she's like a chibi animal. So, which is fine. Like I like that. But at the same time, it's like, you're either going to die a very tragic death or you're going to make this whole experience campy. And I'm really worried about Mm. that. Something I am concerned with is that a lot of the characters feel flat right now. Mm. Um, Yeah. Like, I don't just going to put that out there. Like, I don't know if it's just because there hasn't been a lot of time for them to develop their histories yet yeah. um, since we are just at issue three. But like, it's very definite that, you know, Yvette is this power hungry kind of character. It's like very certain that Micah is like a cold character with um, some kind of tragic history and mm-hmm. with people. And, you know, you've got Shibby Kippa. <laughs> but that's the thing they're like the strongest ones in the they're, they have the strongest characterizations right now which mm-hmm. i don't know is indicative right. of anything for the future because i think we can all agree that the the badass sisters the inquisitrixes <laughs> they're like a band it's awesome like they're really cool but they're you know again stoic stoic as <laughs> so it's kind of I'm interested. I'm hoping that there's more in store mm. for sure. But yeah, I think that that's about that's about it. Unless anyone else has any free questions or anything that they hope or predict or even something irrelevant would be welcome right now too. <laughs> something that Monstrous makes you think of maybe. I feel like the characters are really have a lot of potential, but they're also following a very sort of like they're very they're very much like caricatures of like archetypes of characters you That's know they're what very I worry like about too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very like they're, they're just like embodying tropes you know right I know now. And, oh, I'm so worried yeah, like, about it, that and I like I like feel that I'm not invested as invested in the story as I should be and I'm also worried that Marjorie Lou has built such an incredibly rich and diverse universe that I'm the, the worst thing for me would be if all of that went to waste you know if yeah. it focused so much on Mar- yeah. on um, Micah's development that mm-hmm. this really creative abundantly rich world that she's built just sort of like disintegrates in in place of t- telling Micah Micah's story essentially I mean yeah. but that's the thing like I think that they're telling her story well enough I'm almost worried that while the world building is amazing it's very easy to get just lost in the the universe of it or the world of it and being like wow this is so impressive but then it's interesting that you describe the characters as flat because that is worrisome Mide, what do you think i think basically that right now this series is following a very thin line between mythology and and story right now like i i thought that your point christine was very interesting that they were that a lot of the characters are embodying tropes and like tropes are so integral to the tradition of mythology mm. like you've got the the wise man you've got um the tragic heroic character and right now they're really 
like they've got this the art that is very mythology inspired and it's gorgeous but like it also the story kind of follows a similar trajectory right now by being this 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 saga in a mythological way I think and like I don't like it's it's cool but like I don't know if it's doing anything in particular to benefit the characters that are living in it well yeah I feel like the story follows like the landscape you know it's very like like the landscape the story is like very vast and over Mm. overarching but in that sort of vastness it like kind of loses any like specific plot or any sort of Mm -hmm. specific relevancy it just feels like there's just this epic story going on but but why should we care i feel like it might read more like a fable so it's Mm -hmm. almost like there's a moral to the story or there's like thing there's a lesson to be learned or i mean again lots of things are uncertain still (laughs) i mean it's only three issues in so right right it's got time to grow (laughs) but it's but it's amazing that it's built such a thorough world in Mm -hmm. three issues and you know if we're invested in anything we're invested in the world that has been being created because there's so right. many rules or maybe non-rules about the world that we just don't understand yet and that's not a bad thing and no, no it's right not now. it's actually it's like a really great hook it's not a cheap way to hook someone in oh, yeah. because it's very thorough so i'm really excited because i think that what you guys were saying about how it's like a very standard mythology that's very accurate it's like almost a different kind it's a an original pantheon uh, in a in a way because it's just like a whole different world the whole different (laughs) belief system and yeah it's maybe that's where the disconnect with the characters comes in because it's because they're so archetypal right now Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. it is like a mythology it's kind of like this is a good story right but you don't feel connected just yet because you know it's like reading a a fable or a myth yeah. and just being like oh so this happened and this happened and this was this the le- lesson at yeah. the end of it yeah and then this yeah. is and then this is over or like and that's why it rains on this month or whatever <laughs> right. you know like it's just you know so yeah. i'm really excited to see where it goes and i think i mean that's all i have to say as a host as a first podcast for most of it oh wait christine do you have something oh, to say <laughs> i just wanted to say like end it on sort of the note that like it while like i still think that there's a lot of room for improvement like it is testament to the series so far that we've been able to discuss it with only three issues we've been able to discuss it for like two two and a half hours so <laughs> okay you know, and I also think- could be that we're really smart <laughs> christine okay give us a little credit <laughs> yeah no, but really, it is amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I guess, Mita, I don't know if you have to go now, but I know this was your second podcast, but how does it feel? Oh, I mean, it feels great. This is a like a really cool comic to discuss and my first comic to like, really discuss with anyone. So this is cool. Awesome. I probably do need to head out. Sorry. All right. No, no, don't. Don't worry. Just say your name and say goodbye. And I love you. I love you guys too. <laughs> oh, that's so, that was so sincere. I'm so happy. Hi, I'm Mira, and thanks for joining us on this adventure through this fantastic universe. Thank you, Mira. Go do what you have to do. Go escape. Be in your life. <laughs> Experience life. Go. Okay. Be free. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right, so everyone else, uh, just go around in a circle really briefly and say how you thought your first podcast went. And you can be honest. Terrible. I think I learned a lot. 
actually just by sitting here and listening <laughs> wait what i said i learned a lot really yeah yeah i, I think just because like there's a lot of things that i hadn't really paid attention to or haven't hadn't mm-hmm. noticed um mm-hmm. as i was reading through the comics so i thought it was really really uh enlightening and awesome experience and i'd li- love to do it again that's awesome yeah. i'm so happy to hear that <laughs> what about you emily i did have a lot of fun too yeah there was yeah. also alcohol and shots and stuff <laughs> there were like- shots that helped there was pizza that helped yes um, sustenance and drugs Legally, it's a drug, okay, guys? (laughs) But yeah, I would definitely do it again. Cool, you should host the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not go there. But yeah, I I learned a lot about (laughs) the comic itself, what other people saw in it. Mm -hmm. And I love discussing books with other people who have read it. Do you think that it makes you more excited about graphic novels and comics, maybe? Or do you just are more excited about monsters? Both. Oh, not mutually exclusive. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's fair. That's a good answer. <laughs> All right. Christine, what about you? You had some very good things to say today, lady. Yay. And we got to oh, see your face you. at the end. Yay. Yeah. I'm sure it was really special. It was. Um, it made my whole night. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, um, I had a lot of fun. It's been a blast. I'm glad that I didn't say too many stupid things. And you didn't say I, uh, any stupid things. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I really Christine, know. we're about to like shit on you about how not bad you are. It's like, <laughs> we're going to well, make fun I- of you because you're actually awesome. If that makes any sense like how dare you podcast before and i'm like really camera shy but i'm happy that i was able to contribute and i really i also learned a lot and it was great to hear everybody's opinion because it really sort of reinforced and expanded my own and it's it's honestly made me more interested in the comics and monstrous just because like it's now like a topic of interest like i'm like what is happening and listening to other people's opinions makes me sort of look at it and read it in a different way and so i think it's always great to sort of expand your perspectives i'm really glad to hear that because i i I self-identify as a hermit i don't really leave the house or anything like i have a really hard time talking to people i (laughs) so so the fact that you know the fact that i i i can share this thing with people and this feeling of excitement about a story even Mm. that's out right now is really exciting and it's it's so exciting because especially with like um or christine they're not even here with us but we're still able to have a conversation about it and stare at each other lovingly it's interesting (laughs) that you brought that up too i'm very introverted and i'm very awkward around people i don't know Mm -hmm. so when justin asked if i would do a podcast i was like sure but I'm probably going to sit awkwardly in the corner, which obviously I did for most of the no, time. No, you didn't. But again, no, you, you didn't. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but you're all are lying. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> but I did find, like, I warmed up. I finally contributed and I had a lot of fun. And so, like, this this is fun. Yeah, it's fun it talking fun. about stuff that you enjoy. And I'm so happy to hear that because I, I'm happy, <laughs> especially because I, I totally recognize that nervousness because I was like that too. Because Justin's very open and he's like, oh, just go right in there. Like, yeah. here, you, th- there's a podcast next week. Get in there. And you're just right. like, oh, God. Like, are you sure? Oh, my God. Are you sure? Wait, I don't I think a, you need me. I have me. a story like, about that. Yeah, Christine, so, like, totally share. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, one day, like, two weeks ago, I got an email for an invite to this podcast. And I, t- I messaged Justin and I was like, oh, like, you know, like... N- 
I don't know if this was a mistake, but it's probably a mistake. Like, <laughs> I've never been on a podcast and I've never read the series. And I like didn't know it was only three issues. Like I thought it was a long running series. So I like messaged him. And I was like, oh, like you sent this to me by mistake. And then he's like, oh, it's not a mistake. And I was like, oh, it's just and I was like. I was like, I've never been on a podcast before. Like, I'm super camera shy. And then, but then he encouraged me to do it. And I'm very glad that I did. Now, our CEO, Justin, is very good about that. He's very good about, in like the most uh, helpful way possible, kind of throwing you into the deep end and teaching you how to swim. And yeah, you're right. just like, cause, yeah, I've noticed that too. <laughs> no, no, no. Because it's like, he totally has faith in you to figure it out. Or like, he sees it in you when you don't see it in yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because there are times, like, like all people, there are times where it's just like, okay, like let's never have that person on <laughs> camera or let's never have that person on podcast or whatever. But typically with podcasts, it's so nice because it really is just a recorded conversation. Oh, yeah. So very often, very rarely do we, I don't I don't know if we even have a person like that, but very rarely do you find anyone in the world who you're just like, no, you can't, you can't come on this one. Like <laughs> you need to leave or, you know, whatever, because it's just a conversation. And most of the time, you know, the people at Comics First are very open to other ideas. And then when we're not, it usually makes for a very funny argument. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm glad that you guys enjoyed your first time because I remember my first time and it was exhilarating. Uh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> first time should be special. <laughs> Mine was very special. I'm so happy to hear that. I yeah, want it to be intimate but- and warm and lovely and safe. <laughs> And there was no men involved. And there was no <laughs> men involved at That's all. Really like not, not even in the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, such, so safe. So safe. So consensual. So consensual. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yes, there was all of the consent. Everyone was on board. There is writing for everyone just like all the documentation is there (laughs) everyone is on board (laughs) okay so i'm glad that everyone had a good time so i guess that's it just to wrap everything up you've just listened and experienced our opinions are marjorie marjorie lou and sana takeda's new series monstrous it's under image comics it's only three issues in you have no excuse not to check it out go read it and tell us what you think on facebook twitter instagram uh we have a youtube channel comics Verse tv the forums we got on our website spreaker soundcloud itunes there are infinite amount of ways you can express your undying love or sincere hatred for the podcast or the website but for god's sake let us know don't keep all the fun thoughts to yourself we got videos more podcasts coming and on the website reviews analyses interviews all of the things for your readership needs anyone else have anything to say to the worldwide ether of the comics first universe no oh everyone's so shy now okay <laughs> all right thanks for listening to another comics first podcast i guess we can just go around and say our names one more time uh ladies thanks for making time for this i'm Kay. i'm genesis i'm emily i'm christine and just ponder these last words words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup <laughs> they slither wildly as they slip away across the comics verse wrote it myself jk's the beatles but you're welcome good night <laughs>